welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast, a podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and I have got an Australian on the line today. Who have I got on the podcast today? You've got Michael Cooney from the PJ Academy at Sandhurst. Michael Cooney, I've got a, there's a, been a bit of a theme lately with these young guns from Australia that I've had on the show. So um, someone as uh, someone like yourself who's been just out of the program, just out of the trainee program, and he's doing good things out there. You keep um, popping up when I'm seeing coaching articles and I'm seeing social media posts, so you're doing something right. So that's um, that's where I tend to, tend to be going with this, this new generation of young coaches that do really good things. Let's, let's talk. Let's, um, let's explore. Let's challenge ideas and let, let's go for it. Let's, let's, it sounds like a plan, mate. Let's get into it. Um, so give us a bit of your background. Talk, tell me about what golf was like for you as a, as a kid, for example. Let's start, let's start way back there. Yeah, golf was um, very fortunate in my childhood to have a father in the golf industry who was, I believe, very, very good at what he did do and what he now does. Um, but golf was never number one sport for me. Um, really enjoyed it, but footy was always uh, the sport that was number one in my in my eyes. But golf was always there from a very young age. When my father was at Spring Park, I can remember back to those days where I started. Wow! Um, so golf was always a. I don't want to stay home on a Saturday, Dad. Can I come to work with you? And then that progressed into playing mini golf because there's 36 holes there. And then that progressed into what are all those people doing out on the golf course? What are they doing? And then it just sort of snowballed from there. And very fortunate that uh, Marty Joyce was a trainee with Richard at Spring Park. And that's how I sort of got into it. Richard was very good in terms of do what you want to do and I'll pick you up and drop you off at whatever times and I'll get out of your way. Um, So for a very young age, Marty was a huge influence on me. And then that progressed to, to Glen Waverley. So I sort of went around where Richard went around. Um, and then at Glen Waverley came across a, a guy called Earl Thomas, who at the time was the CEO of Spalding. Um, and, Stru- and he and Richard had a really, really good relationship, um, which turned out to be a really good relationship for, for me and, and hopefully for Earl. Um, so very, very fortunate. And that, would, that turned into chipping competitions, pitching competitions, playing um so very very lucky in that regard and it sort of just developed from there and then when Richard went to Rosanna that obviously had a big influence on my junior career and then meeting people like Luke Mackey who's now basically head of medical at Golf Australia and played a lot of junior golf with him Isaac Siriani now with Trackman or was with Titleist so very very fortunate um in my life to have very very big influences, not just my father, but I can think Darren Lay, Ramsey McMaster, Ryan Lumsden. Um, so very, very lucky in that regard. It would it would help, I would assume, having those type of people in your in your your personal circle, so to speak, from an early age, because you've got you've dropped some names there that are pretty big in the golf industry and are still pretty big in the golf industry. And to just have the ability to ask those guys questions and to talk to them about what golf is and how they go about it and the stuff that they do must have been really, really cool as a, as a kid. Yeah, well, I, that's the thing, though. As a kid, you don't really understand that those people are who they are. 
Mm. Like not that they're famous or anything like that, and not that they're saving lives or anything, but in the golf space, they're they're pretty cool people to be around. But someone the other day asked me, "What's it like to hang around with this person?" I was like, "Well, it's, I've known them since I basically since I could walk, so they're just like just like another bloke. You and I having a beer at the pub. They're just just normal people, and they just I'm just very lucky to be uh, have known them from a long time and and have a really good relationship with them." Oh, that's really cool. And just quickly back to Spring Park, you um you beat me to the question. I was going to ask how did you spend much time on the golf course, or were you just playing putt putt all the time? Well, that's that's where my sort of love of putting has come from. Um, because as a kid, you don't really take much, you don't pay much attention to what your dad or your mum say. <laughs> Very true. And, and if your dad's trying to coach you, which he never, Richard's never really coached me, which is fantastic. Um, again, what time do you want to be picked up? Here's $20, off you go. Um, so, yeah, that's where the, the love of golf came from, mini golf, and yeah. from chipping competitions with Earl, who's my godfather, and, yeah, just just a snowball effect from there. For those that don't realise who your father is, it is your father. Your father is Richard Cooney, who's um, extremely well-known and extremely good golf coach down here in Victoria and all over the country, been state coach for years and all sorts of things going on there. So um, he's on my hit list too to come on the podcast, but I just wasn't quite sure how tech-savvy he was going to be, so it might be his person one. He's actually um, improved a lot in his, te- in his technology uh, usage. He's... Um, not to sort of digress from where we're going, but he's over at Latrobe Golf Park now, and he's got um, eight or nine TrackMan unit, indoor TrackMan unit. So wow. he's probably more tech savvy than I am, which is I don't know if that's a reflection on him or a, or a reflection on me. <laughs> no, that's cool. But um, if he's tuning in, I'm definitely going to get him on the show at some point in time. Oh, so we'll I will good. hit him up. So playing at Spring Park because it's a public golf course, obviously. Um, obviously, you had access to the course and to the practice facilities. Were there any, you said chipping competitions and putting, were there juniors at the club or at yep. the course? How was the junior program set up there? Can't really recall the junior program set up, but there was always junior clinics in the holidays, um, yeah. always. So I basically got thrown in the deep end a little bit and Richard said, off you go, go play with some members and learn how to score and and whatnot. Um, there was a couple of junior members, um, but, but in terms of clinics and what they would call the my golf stuff now, that would um, that would exist. It wasn't until I got to sort of Glen Waverley where I had more serious coaching, and they had a um, they had about a two hundred meter practice fairway from memory. It's now actually tennis courts now because of the. Um, but yeah, the the new freeway that's gone through the Burundara Tennis Club, they've moved that to Glen Waverley now. So there's no practice fairway at Glen Waverley anymore. Oh, isn't there? Okay. I think there's 18 or 19 tennis courts um, or there's going to be anyway. So that was there and they had a, a chipping green that you could pitch maybe 40 or 50 metres from memory with a bunker as well. Yeah, there was, yeah. So that's where sort of the, the ser- more serious coaching sort of came into it and there was a lot more juniors then. Um, there would have been maybe eight or nine of us. I can remember playing with Adam Schiltz, who's now at Keysborough. Okay. Um, a lot of golf with him as a junior. Uh, a lot of golf with a couple other guys that sort of don't play anymore, but keep in contact with. But yeah, it's uh, that's where the sort of the more serious coaching that I got happened, and then that progressed when when I got older. Because it can be, it can be. 
I've always found with kids, if you can get a group of kids at a club that kind of grow up together, they play together, they practice together, you get that improvement just from the fact that they're on the golf course and they're playing, as you said, you're, you're doing chipping competitions, you're having putting comps, you're, you're playing the golf course and you're playing from the third tee to the sixth green um, and you're doing that type of stuff and you get that learning and improvement just from doing that type of practice as opposed to if you're the only kid at the only kid at the club, you, you're playing by yourself, you're hitting balls by yourself. It can be a bit boring and a, and a bit... Um, bit stagnant, I suppose. The improvement just tends to, tends to stop a little bit. So that having that group of kids around you, I'm sure, would have been fun and helpful for you. Yeah, no, no doubt. It sort of it definitely back to the old handicapping system where you knew how much you could drop your handicap if you shot a, a certain score. Like terrible thinking now that you think about it, right? <laughs> but as a kid, you know no different. So you know, you knew if you had this amount of points, you'd drop this amount of, of points on your handicap. And we were all sort of working that out and going through together. And then that really, the more I think about it now, the more that definitely helped at Rosanna, um, especially with the older kids, because I was sort of still 12 or 13, but the, the 15, 16 year olds that were there, Isaac included, that really pushed pushed me along. And yeah, that was fantastic. But I, I know what you mean. And it, when you, if you do get those kids together, that's when I reckon you get the most improvement because we can bang down the door as much as we like about our coaching, what we want done. If it doesn't come from within the kids themselves, it's sort of a you, – you, you're, you're trying to push the proverbial uphill. It's really hard. Yeah, very true. Um, you touched on something earlier that, that piqued my interest as well. So you said you played football as well as golf. Were there other, other sports involved as well or just kind of those two were your main ones? No. Um Family friends of ours, um, I think they still do actually. I, I should catch up with them. Run the Melbourne Taekwondo Centre in Melbourne. So okay. Taekwondo was a, a massive part of our um, sporting life, uh, and also swimming. Um, swimming, I re- I enjoyed. Um, didn't love it, but did it because because we could. Um, but never really got into cricket. Love like cricket, but didn't really get into playing it. Um, gave tennis a go, didn't really enjoy playing. I thought it was a bit boring, to be honest. Love watching it, love going. Um, basketball, played a little bit, um, but it was more golf and footy that were top of the tree. Looking back on that now, did you see that as a good thing or a bad thing playing all those different sports or, or trying those different sports? Good, good. There's certainly aspects from both that I wish you could amalgamate into into two, one of the reasons I stopped playing footy is I dislocated my shoulder. I'm going to say, if I said 12 times, it could have been closer to 24. I lost count. Yeah, yeah, I've had two shoulder reconstructions on my right shoulder. I'm guessing there's some sort of problem there with the shoulder, but if it keeps popping out. I did it once when I was 15 and then I should have had it operated on, but I didn't want to. And then it just kept happening and then had it when I was 16 and then had another one because it kept happening after that when I was sort of second year into becoming an associate. So that would have been 2014 um, and had the second one there. But being around a team uh, environment, I really, really enjoyed. Um, but, yeah, copped it a little bit physically. So it, um, it kept happening and that sort of hampered the golf a little bit. And and then, yeah, just sort of went, well, I can't really do football anymore. So golf at what? Not, not that golf it was, but sort of it's sort of just a, a natural and organic flow into golf progressed from there 
that makes sense. It's um, I wish I um, I wish I. One thing I probably regret is playing too much football. Okay. I always thought I was going to be the next captain of Collingwood. So <laughs> I wish I uh, I wish those dreams ended a, a bit sooner than what they did. Yeah, well, Collingwood, man, you you. Got all your teeth, mate. You can't be a Collingwood player. <laughs> Got a few tattoos, though. So, <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's curious with the the team sport aspect you said there, and I've, I find because golf can be challenging sometimes because you are the only person out there and you haven't got that team aspect, and it generally tends to work both two ways. It tends to work how you explained it, like you enjoyed the team aspect sport, but some people will find that I'm relying on their performance to have. A win, for example, whereas in golf it's all down on you essentially. There's no one to fall back on or there isn't anyone to stop you from having a win, so to speak. So the, the team stuff is obviously fun and and I think that's where that, that group of juniors together can help that type of process. But um, golf tends to attract that person where you, that person that's by themselves just thinks that I'm going to be the only person that's going to control my outcome. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and you see it in junior clinics and even um, high level programs. You see that um, it's a bit of a shame, but there's sometimes you just can't do much about it. Don't get me wrong. I wish we could all um, we could all play in a team sport. You don't really get that though if you don't make state teams or you don't make you know presidents cup teams. You get it in pennant, but yeah, it's only for a small window of the year and. If you're injured or you miss or you're playing tournaments and you miss pennant, you, you don't really get too much team golf, which is a bit of a shame, but that's just that's just the way the cookie crumbles, unfortunately. Yes, that's, that's how it works. Now, you get to spill the beans now. We've had Joycey on the podcast before, so he's been he's, – I've heard his side of the story, so to speak, mm-hmm. of his – how bad a trainee was he? How bad of how much of a was a problem child was Mister Joyce in the pro shop? Did he do the work? Was he a hard worker? Was he a pain, or what was he? No, I think um, I think Richard ran a pretty good pretty good ship. Like I remember, I can't remember being well, Marty being told off at any stage, but I think Richard was pretty fair in that regard. Work hard, play hard, do what you need to do. Just turn up on time and open the door and lock the door and count the money and. As long as he doesn't get any phone calls in the middle of the night, everything should be okay. <laughs> um, well, no, I can't recall too many. Yeah, I was probably too young to, if something did happen, I was probably too young to to recall too many incidences, if you like, but yeah. It's probably it, the phone calls that you get at 2am are generally okay. It's the ones you get at 6am from the golfer saying the pro shop hasn't been open because the the yes. boys haven't turned up can yes. cause the problems i'm sure <laughs> no i think i think richard probably scared the living daylights out of a few people potentially if uh if that phone call ever came across but i can't <laughs> remember having one or someone else because richard's had a few trainees i can't remember too many not uh not rolling in at six o'clock or whatever time we needed to be there so I can't spill too many beans, unfortunately, on Marty's uh, escapades as a trainee. He's just a square bear, obviously, by the sounds of things. So yeah, no, that's, correct. Correct. <laughs> that's all fine. Now, I was extremely, I suppose, guilty is a good enough word to say it as a trainee on experimenting on the juniors with my, my coaching skills. And um, I'm sure I screwed a few of them up over the years, but certainly spent, certainly built my coaching skills um, with the juniors. So did he spend much time with you coaching you or playing? 
helping you out? Richard didn't do a lot. Marty did a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Probably. He probably did. I certainly have. Uh, yep. I think we'd all be lying if we said we didn't. Um, you know, I, did, I just today, for in fact, I spent basically the whole day with um, Jamie Donaldson um, doing some main point stuff. Yeah, well, sorry, he's back be, in the country. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be experimenting with, with some of the juniors on some green reading stuff and some really cool uh, backswing length and backswing time, forward swing time uh, and speed stuff with them. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. We, I'm sure I have been a ex- little bit of an experiment and I'm sure I have well, actually, I know I have experimented with juniors because um, it's just the yeah, it's not the way it is. But it's um, they might pick up something that an adult might not pick up, hmm. especially with technology. Um, you know, kids are always on their phones. My three-year-old daughter knows how to get into my phone, open up <laughs> YouTube Kids, and and watch her favorite Peppa Pig episode or whoever she's watching. So yeah, sometimes kids are will blow your mind in terms of what they can do on a phone. I'm very fortunate at Sandhurst to have four TrackMan units inside so I can jump in there if I need to and they know how to turn it on and get into games or do some shot analysis stuff. So, yeah, absolutely experimented. It's just the just the way of the world, I think. Oh, well, good. The, the kids do work it out really quickly. You'll, they do. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. Um, so it sounds like I'm curious – with your father, you said he didn't do a whole lot of coaching with you. I was curious about how he approached it because I've got an, a show coming up soon with um, some pros that have got kids in high school programs and junior programs and just curious about how they go about coaching their own kids. Um, yeah. And finally, my own son is finally showing some golf interest. So he's going to be coming into the, the golf world over the next couple of years. So I'll be in that space as well. So I'm curious what approach Richard talk you've, you've kind of covered off on that a bit and then how you found that approach as a as an actual kid yeah so yeah like I said he if I had a junior tournament um it was here's twenty dollars what time do you want to be picked up what time do you want to be there where's the tournament at let's let's plan for for getting you there at whatever time you want to and and I'll pick you up being the state coach I'm sure and you would have seen this in your coaching the the aggressive parents maybe not the right word but the the overbearing parent um and I, and I see it now it's um it's frightening so being the state team coach I'm sure he saw that and goes I'm not going to be that parent um so I was Richard was fantastic and I haven't spoken to him about this but yeah he was really really good if I had questions he'd be the first to answer um so yeah, it was uh, it was fantastic. And then Marty did a lot of coaching. Probably hasn't been. I have. A, I still have lessons now. I don't play a great deal, but I would have had more lessons in the last five years not playing than I would have had in the first fifteen years of my golfing life. Okay. Um, whether we can have maybe more of a mature conversation, or whether it's there's no pressure anymore. I'm not trying to to play it. Not that I was a great player, but I'm not trying to, to play for, for in tournaments or anything like that. But, yeah, very fortunate um, in that regard. If I ever needed a practice round somewhere, he'd be the first person to give me the name and the number of the guy and ring him up or send him an email and and whatnot, but was very lucky. And then what he did do, though, was I sound like a tour player here, but I'm not. I had a very good team around me. Um, so I had 
Ramsey. Then I had Darren Lay, uh, Luke Mackey, Noel Blundell. So I had really good people to learn different skills off. Uh, and then, of course, Marty and, and Ryan Lumsden I've done 3D stuff with. So I had some pretty good people to answer and ask questions from, not just Richard, which is um, which is fantastic. So if my kids ever decide golf's their thing and they want to do that, it's something that I'd definitely be um, pushing them in a very similar direction. Sounds like you had the whole Golf Australia high performance team in your in your house every weekend by the sounds so of that was, So that was, Marty lived around the corner. Okay. And we were in Ashburton, Marty was in Ashwood. And it was a drive and a seven iron away. Nice. So um, very much, I mean, when Trackman first came out, when Putt Lab first came out, and when they both had them, it was very much, uh, let's, let's see what goes on at home and in the garage. And it was, yeah, it was fantastic. Brooke Salmon's another one. Massive influence. Huge. Okay, Brooke, um, if you're tuning in, you're coming on the podcast too at some stage. So, yeah, massive. He's probably the, I'd say, he'd have the greatest, almost the greatest mind in Australian golf. Okay, he's very much underrated. He's fantastic. But, um, yeah, I've always always enjoyed seeing him go about his stuff. Like he's obviously he's been involved with trainee school over the years, and he is he just seems so so calm and and just. How he coaches it, it just seems so simple the way he explains it. Um, no, that's that's certainly really cool. So, Mr. Salmon, if you're tuning in, hit me up because you're coming on the podcast at some at some stage as well. So, it's, it sounds like with your dad, he's not really the kind of coach or kind of person to push himself onto you, and he's on the stood back. So, how has that impacted you, or how how has that influenced you in your coaching? How how early do you think kids should be getting formal type coaching? I really, I really think it's dependent on their maturity levels. Something that Richard was good at, um, if I was being lazy on the couch on a Sunday, there'd be a, just a snarly little soft, oh, would Tiger be sitting on the couch on Sunday at 12 o'clock <laughs> on his phone doing nothing? Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. That's, you know. So if the, kid, if the kid's got maturity, he can have lessons at any, or she can have lessons at any stage. Yeah. Um, I would suggest definitely the pathway through my golf to get them started. I think that's a really good system. Or US Kids Golf is is a really good system too. The graduating system through pathways and whatnot. So then that formal coaching can come sort of when they, I think, when they graduate through those systems. I don't think you could probably have a, a – I don't think a kid would last half an hour who's never picked up a club before, done some sort of my golf or junior clinic or, or US kids golf clinic. But that's not to say they can't, but I just think that's a really good pathway because they're learning the basic fundamentals. They're learning how to hold the club. They're learning how to stand. They're learning how to swing back, try and hit the ball in the middle, swing through. Once you get those fundamentals, even if you're an adult, once you get those fundamentals, you can really start to progress quite quickly um, through formal golf lessons. So, I have a kid at the moment who's six who does my golf. That's my youngest. The youngest private lesson kid I've got is seven. Okay. That's so, very young, isn't it? Private. Yeah. Yeah. He comes in for half an hour though. Um, turns out to be more like 25 minutes when you talk for a little bit and you show him a couple of things. But um, I think that's in terms of what they can absorb, um, half an hour is plenty. 
No, that's cool. And I think as junior coaching has improved over the years and I think having those pathways where they're getting taught the the basics of golf but in a fun way and then they aren't just standing up in a straight line hitting hitting golf balls. They're throwing balls, they're hopping, they're jumping, they're skipping, they're doing all those things that we should be doing as, as kids. So that's, um, that's certainly good advice, really cool. That's where I've been using TrackMan a lot um for those sorts of things like I, I couldn't think of anything worse for my kid to be standing on a driving range at sandhurst in the middle of winter hitting golf balls in 40 kilometer winds on that driving range so having the ability to go inside hey we're going to do some some chipping on track man then we're going to go play some games on track man and the the engagement levels far better the enjoyment levels far better they're using technology they're not getting cold. They're not going to get um, disheartened by being out there. It's where technology, I think, plays a massive part in in getting better as coaches and and providing better products for for students and kids. That that extremely makes sense. And just to reinforce that, those two kids I brought into the center when I had them out on the golf course at Sandhurst uh, probably four or five weeks ago now are still talking about their experience hitting balls into the screen, trying to hit those, just play those games on track, man. Um, and it keeps, as you said, it keeps them engaged. They obviously the, the targets are in different spots on the screen each time. So they, they're teaching themselves how to aim and hit different types of shots. So, and they're still talking about it, which is really cool. Yeah, it's fantastic. No, that's that's awesome. Um, okay, so trainee program. So obviously you've gone on from junior golf and you've gone into the trainee program. This is kind of a standard question for all these guys that have fairly recently graduated. I'm curious on your thoughts of the, on the trainee program. It's changed heaps over the years since I went through and I'm always curious to get thoughts on what you thought going through that program. Um, mixed thoughts only because... I felt like the people who I knew through my father, um, not that they knew everything, but I was just very fortunate to have them or to know them really and to have experienced coaching from them and and whatnot. So I got got things out of every session um, that was very – I felt like I was living – I don't want to sound arrogant here, but I I felt like I was advanced going into the program in terms of what I knew already. But the day you think you know everything is the day you give it away, right? Makes sense. Um, so you're always trying to pick up things. It's great. It teaches you resilience because there was many and many a time where I just wanted to go, I've had enough of this. And you, you, you don't realize what's at the end of the carrot, if you like. Um, but um, I said to myself in the first year, I'm going to go overseas in the end of the second year on a boys trip. So that carrot was sort of in front of me as well to to start you know push through push through push through and then third year was a bit of a struggle because I had the operation in the end of the second year as well uh, in terms of playing which I never thought I'd encounter I just thought I'd pass pretty pretty comfortably but I was very lazy in that third year um, wasn't organized with time wasn't organized with practice and scheduling and all that sort of stuff Schoolwork was never an issue, I felt. Um, always got the stuff handed in on time. Oh, that's that's something that Richard was good with. Right. When are you getting stuff in on time? Not that I not that I was late with anything, but you yeah, know, they were questions we had daily. Have you you're doing some homework today, you're doing some homework today. So that was very good. But 
as a whole, it teaches you so much, right? You get you get the experience in a golf club or in a retail environment or, you know, they're expanding out now, driving ranges, indoor driving ranges, um, retail shops. So you get that, that experience. You get to do some coaching if that's a path you want to go down, uh, which that's the path I wanted to go down. So that sort of um, that piqued my interest or management and having good mentors around me was, was really important. I had Tony Craswell down at Latrobe who was fantastic. Uh, he was my mentor. So, And then you bounce ideas off other trainees too. Uh, Mitch Olmos is a good friend of mine. Uh, he, he came or well, we did our um, traineeships at the same time. So you, you, you make lifelong friends. You really do. Uh, and it's fantastic. I can't speak highly enough. They've last year I presented to the first year trainees. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it was like a nostalgic. That was first sort of presentation too. So I don't know. <laughs> it's um, it's uh, it was very very nostalgic though because I was like, oh, I've I've been in their shoes. I know what's I know what they're thinking. When's the next guy on? And when's lunch? And I'm hungover <laughs> from going out. And, um. But no, it was was very good, and it's a it's a really good program. Um, everything can be improved. Don't get me wrong, um, but as a whole, it's a it's a really really good program, and we're lucky to have it in Australia. It's one of the leaders uh, around the world. Um, you know, the other PJs around the world are pinching ideas from us. Um, so it's it's a fantastic program that the guys run down at the PGA, and can't recommend it enough. It really, you get all aspects. You get to play, you get to coach if you want to coach, you get to manage if you want to manage, you get to get into game development if you want to game develop. It just, there's a mirror of options when you do finish your traineeship, which is fantastic. You know, you go to university and you study something, you don't necessarily have potentially four different streams to, to enter in. So it's a, it's fantastic for um, career progression and development and especially if you don't know what you want to do at your first year you start to experience all those different um different areas of golf and it's yeah it's brilliant can't speak highly enough of it yeah no that's cool it's um it's again it's it's a, a space that's constantly changing and improving and evolving and it's changed again fairly recently but it's it is yeah. and it does it gives you exposure to all the different areas of what the golf game's all about it isn't just playing it isn't just coaching it isn't just being in a pro shop that you get exposed to all different types of it which is really cool um and as you said it's a pretty heavy workload you're working full-time and you're essentially studying full-time as well um you've got to keep your your, your time organized so you, you you can get stuff done absolutely absolutely it's a uh... And you are exactly right. You obviously had a head start coming in because you had exposure to those guys that you had exposure to as a kid and as a junior. And as a before you came into the program, you're getting world class um, content from those guys. So you certainly had a had a foot in the door. Um, yeah, absolutely. Very, very lovely. Which is which is really cool. So, what was the um, the first step out of the the trainee program? You, you headed straight out to coach, or did you try something else? before then or talk me I through that? I was extremely lucky. Um, I rang up Marty and maybe halfway through the third, my third year and said, hey, I want to do some caddying. I'd caddied from, as a junior with, with pros that Richard had taught. I can remember one of my first experiences on the golf course was with Mark Allen. Uh, he played 
And there was two experiences I remember. One was at Box Hill when he played in the Pro-Am. Uh, this is when I would have been 10, 11, 12 maybe. Uh, and then there was one at Yarra Yarra, the Master of the Amateurs Pro, and we were played with Jason Day as a young 15, 16-year-old. Oh, wow. Right, and I thought, I think I, would, I wouldn't mind doing this as a living, for a living. So I was lucky enough in 2015 to caddy for Nathan Holman when he won the Australian PGA. Nice. So that was cool. Um, so I did that for a little bit um, and then sort of go, well, what am I going to do next? So that lasted for a few months. Um, and then the opportunity to coach came up. Now, I always wanted to, but never really pursued it hard enough. And then all of a sudden, my junior program went from 10 to 20 to 30 to 40. Um, and yeah, the, the program sort of built and I really enjoyed it. Then when I moved from Rosanna, I took up a full-time role uh, at Golf Tech in the Melbourne CBD where they had indoor trackman membership and, and simulators and was coaching out of there. And then was very fortunate in 2018 to start working at Freeway Golf Club and Malvern Valley Golf Club, where started at Freeway, progressed into to Malvern Valley, um, where my coaching sort of really progressed and took off. They didn't have a practice fairway there, so I did a lot more chipping, pitching, putting, bunkers and on-course stuff. And then that's really where my love for, not where, but that was a, a because of the influences on the coaching facilities I had, that's where I, my putting coaching really took off and sort of really developed and something that I really want to pursue going further. That's probably the, um, the one part of the game I feel really comfortable to have a conversation with, with anyone about. Uh, still trying to learn and develop and get better like everyone else. But yeah, that's where um, sort of the careers progressed to, and um, really enjoying my time at the at the PGA. I'm looking after the golf development program now, so Nick sort of handed that um, to me now, which is fantastic. I'm I'm loving it, and we just got a new crew in at the moment, so they're sort of very raw when it comes to to coaching and to training and what it takes to um, prepare yourself to be a uh, effectively an athlete in the program. So it's really it's a great program and really very very lucky to to have uh, landed on my feet in that regard. Um, Nick's fantastic, Nikolowski. That is, don't tell him that. Hopefully he's not listening. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he's tuning in. He's been fantastic um, to me and so of the PGA. So yeah, it's uh, it's all going really well at the moment. Oh, sounds sounds really cool. There's a few things I want to want to want to touch on there. Firstly, how many kids are in the performance program this year? How many you got? So when you add the, the golf to, uh, management diploma program, we can have anywhere between 8 to 10, uh, sorry, 8 to 12 nice. in the program. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's fairly big now. Um, they get uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they're with me basically all day. And then Tuesday, Thursdays, they've got gym in the morning with Scott Williams, who's a really good, Really, uh, he's an expert in what he does in the strength and conditioning game. So he's fantastic to have him. And um, I have Nick on a Thursday still. Um, and yeah, we we are progressing really nicely this year. So it's um, I look forward to, to hopefully mentoring a few guys and girls, and hopefully they you know graduate to become trainees either next year or years after. So yeah, it's, it's fantastic. 
Sounds good. Now, I just have to correct you just quickly on that. It's Dr. Scott Williams now. He's finally got Sorry. that PhD. I, I, <laughs> I, I knew that. Hopefully, he's not listening either. Otherwise, I'll be in trouble. He's coming on the podcast to talk about his PhD, but he has to have his surgeries and stuff done first before he comes back on. So um, he's for a fit guy. He's constantly injured. So he's, yeah, he's, I know, right? But he's coming on at some stage to talk about his PhD and his final thesis, which has finally got approved, and he's putting the cap and gown on now. So he's um, officially Dr. Scott Williams now, which is really cool. Officially doctor. Okay, we'll call him the no, doctor. That's that's awesome. That's really cool. Um, so golf tech. So you're in golf tech, which is in Collins Street in the CBD in 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 the city. Um, I've spoken about this with a couple of guests on the show that have been in those indoor centres. What type of clientele did it attract, and how did you get clients in there? Because it's a bit different to a golf course where you've got golfers coming through the pro shop all the time. How did you get people in there? We are very fortunate, or I was very fortunate that um, obviously got um. Could be mistaken. I know there's a house of golf there in the city, and um, but basically it's the only place you could hit balls in the city. Um, and golf's a relatively big, big sport in Melbourne, um, so we had no issues getting clients in. Uh, they were also sharing the space with the golf clearance outlet at the time. I think it's now the house of golf. So uh, I was Monday to Friday. I was really busy. Um, I'd do anywhere from six to 12 lessons a day. Um, so it was it was packed. Uh, track man in each bay, membership model. So, you know, you come in, book your bays online, pay your membership online. Um, I was basically the only one coaching there. The, the owners at the time sort of progressed out to expand the business a little bit. So they weren't coaching at all. So it was... Um, it was, yeah, really busy and they had no issues getting people in. Fridays and Saturdays was a bit quieter, but that, that businessman or woman who was playing golf on the weekends wanted to hit balls for half an hour to an hour, had somewhere with TrackMan. How fortunate is that, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, really, it was really busy. Actually, surprisingly busy when I first started. I couldn't believe that how busy it was. Okay, and you were getting serious golfers, obviously. They, were, they weren't just yeah. average hacks. They were actual, actual proper golfers, so to speak. Yeah, majority of them would have had a handicap. I, I would have, if I went back on the numbers, I reckon 80% would have had a handicap, enough that they knew what TrackMan was. A lot of people already knew what TrackMan was, and then a lot of them knew what data they were looking at, which is like, how good is that, right? Um, so, yeah, it was very, very fortunate in that regard. Okay, so then how was the change? You said you went to Freeway next, was the, the one after after Golf Tech was was Freeway. Yeah, yeah. So I went to Freeway to work for Sean Gammon. So you've gone really from you've gone from essentially a clientele that's probably seeking technology, um, serious golfers to to a public course, and this is no crack on public courses, but you yeah, probably, no. you probably aren't getting the the type of golfer that was coming through Golf Tech. How did you adjust your coaching to suit that? No, yeah, you get the almost not the complete opposite. That's being too rude, but yeah, you get a completely different clientele who potentially don't know what TrackMan is, or potentially have myths or misconceptions of of ball flight, or from whatever it could be. So that was um, that was part of the reason I wanted to move is to not to tell people they were wrong, but hey, there's a there's a world out there where technology can really help us. Um, and using what I learned at Golf Tech to apply that to 
potentially golfers that never really knew what technology was. So that was a, a huge adjustment. Uh, communication had to be really to, to be different in terms of um, sort of the the message we were trying to get across. You know, um, so that was that was quite difficult. But thought I found like I found really good little strategies like, hey, uh, if this if we're hitting too far down on the ball, you get this type of divot. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Or if we're getting no divot, you're hitting too far up on the ball. So those little things you need to adjust. But if you've got a track man there, the, the numbers aren't lying to you. You know, the numbers aren't lying to you if you're hitting it seven degrees down with your seven iron or three degrees up with your seven iron. So, um, you know, it, it's obviously validation there, but he really had to adjust and then had to adjust more at, at Malvern because there was no practice fairway. I wasn't there. there okay. No, there's, there's three nets. One of them's used to keep the golf carts in um, and the other two are quite small. So, uh, adjusting to on course, they had a big putting green, small chipping area, bunker that wasn't very good, but there was a lot of on course lessons. Um, and really, I mean, I put a huge, huge post that would have been three or four meters high by a couple of meters wide, golf lessons available. And I couldn't believe when I started how many people wanted golf lessons. <laughs> I thought I might have got one or two a week. I was doing sort of 20, 20 lessons a week on top of working in the shop. So that was, um, that was huge and doing a lot more on-course stuff, which is fantastic. Um, obviously, it's great to be able to hit a, a really nice 7-0 and have a good swing, but golf's a game, so we need to start playing it better. And I've, I've had this conversation with a few coaches that have been on the podcast, and um, there's there's a there's a push more towards that on that on-course type coaching setups now as opposed to spending time on the range. And if, I've brought this point up a few times. It's a weird sport, golf, because most other sports you learn to play it and you train to play it on the course or the court or the field that you're actually going to play the game on. Whereas on as golf coaches, we traditionally take them off to a practice fairway or a, um, some sort of hitting bay where they're not actually playing the game, so to speak. Um, I'm curious on your, on your thoughts on that. To take it a step further, not one single golf shot's the same. Very true. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> why do we why do we coach guys, girls, men, women to just only hit seven irons when they're having a lesson? It's just because of the way it's been, right? Yeah. But do we change it? Maybe not. Should we change it? Maybe. I don't know. Um, but it, yeah, it's really it's a fascinating fascinating question i'm certainly guilty of spending too much time worrying about what a swing looks like i'm sure we all are i i, I thought about this before coming on about my first lesson at golf tech i absolutely just made me get shivers down my spine about the stuff i would have been talking about and at the time i thought it was really good right so it's 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 quite funny how we develop as humans and coaches and and our coaching styles but yeah it's uh we never hit the same shot we never play the same golf course with the same wind, with the same weather. Yet we try and always hit our seven irons and we're either practicing, guilty, um, or, or coaching. But you need to have some sort of skill base to be able to go on the course and then adjust. So that's where the – is it the chicken or is it the egg? Like what are we waiting for here? So it's a, it's a really cool question and a really cool – yeah, completely different answers. Where I stand at the moment is – hey, we need to learn fundamentals and we need to be able to not swing a certain way, but we need to do some certain things right. So then when we do get on the course and we need to hit a 
half eight iron, not a full nine, you're able to. And that's something I found with the with the performance program is that they're all just used to hitting flat out six irons. Where at Sandhurst, as you know, it's the windiest course in Melbourne, and there's very very rarely full shots. It's let me hit a half seven, um, let me hit a cut little five in there, or a flat little draw, and let it take the slope and roll a, l- a little bit. They're all used to hitting these high six irons that go one seventy. Well, that's not really the shot. So being able to develop their techniques and then being able to teach them shots is a important part of, of any coaching, I think. It's a, it, it's a hard space, and I can see both sides of the argument, and I think I'm a bit like you. I've changed my mind 14 times in the last 12 months about what should come first, and yeah. um, I'm sure any coaches tuning in will have their own opinions on what it is, so feel free to get on my social media and give me your opinion on, on this as well because it is. It's Yes, you have to learn how to play the, play the game, but you have to have some sort of base before you take them on the golf course. They can't just go out there as a raw learner. Um, yeah. they've got to be able to make some sort of contact don't they they have some sort of swing going and then how long before then I've had clients over the years that have spent too long on the driving range and I can't get them onto the golf course because they're scared yeah. to go on the golf course so yeah. it's such a, a challenging space and it, it is it's, it's a chicken or the egg type situation isn't it you, yeah. just have, you have to kind of guess sometimes and just hope for the best yeah yeah absolutely and it's um, it's you just got to get that blend right don't you like You've got to spend enough time making them technically better, but you've got to spend enough time teaching them how to play golf. And then you then you sort of question the the lesson model. Should we be giving lessons that go for more than an hour? Like we only give lessons that go for an hour or more at, at, at the PGA Academy, but should it be two or three hours where we, you know, we do some on-course stuff, we do some technical stuff, we do some track man testing, we do some... When was the last time someone just goes, yeah, I want to do a few hours on putting? That never happens. Yeah. Right? Um, when was the last time someone goes, let's do some course charting? Let's let's figure out how to play the game better and get technically savvy and a little bit better so they can adjust for those course strategies. It just, it just doesn't happen. So does that actual lesson model need to change? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe people are just happy giving one-hour lessons and, and being full, but it's a really cool question to be talking about um because you know you look at the, the coaches overseas like what is it hank haney or or Ledbetter? they only give two to three hour lessons yeah they don't do half hours they do half days don't they yeah yeah well yeah i mean half an hour lesson what do you get out of a half an hour lesson i can understand people are time poor and your facility may not um allow you to do one hour sessions but what are they what are people actually learning in that half an hour by the time you do video if you do video for five or so minutes you talk to them about their game for five or so minutes there's 10 minutes gone here's a um a thought a thought for you as well i'm interested in this because i've done this and screwed up people in the past i'm interested in your thoughts on this why should a golf lesson have a time frame to it anyway i know you've someone's booked in for the full hour and you've got what you've got them to a place where they need to be in 45 minutes should you not just call it quits then i know i've gone for that extra 10 minutes and screwed someone up because i've gone too far so sometimes you can actually too much coaching can can come about sometimes i don't know yeah yeah no totally like um with the performance squad because we go for we go for blocks you know on a monday we start at roughly we start around nine o'clock we're in the classroom we we've been using a lot of the the scott Fawcett decade stuff who i'm doing more and more with and, and love it um 
So we spend sort of a, a small session for maybe 20 minutes doing some stuff with that. And then we go and we go till about 12 o'clock. If I think the session should be, we finish at 11.30 because we've done a good enough job, we should, and we do finish at 11.30. But if I think we need to go an extra half an hour because someone's not getting something or they're not working hard enough or they're not doing something I want them to do, then yeah, let's, let's, let's drag it out. So I think that's the, again, the chicken or the egg. If you've got someone at 11 o'clock and you've got a lesson at 12 o'clock, can you go that extra 15 minutes? Yeah, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Because you, yeah. you you do want that flexibility to be able to give that extra time if you need to, but you do have to pay the bills as well. I've had this argument with employers over the, over the journey. I used to like to book 45 um, sessions on the hour, so I'd have that bit of extra flexibility to go over if I needed to, but certain employers over the years have said no they pay for 45 they get 45 so so it's 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 certainly a, a catch-22 it's a certainly a hard situation but if you get the high enough profile you can kind of do what you want can't you if you are the hand caning you can do what you want so yeah yeah listen i'm sure if rory mcelroy lobbed onto my doorstep tomorrow and goes hey let's let's spend the day together or let's spend three hours together and you needed five mate we can have five <laughs> no worries <laughs> or if he goes i want three and it we stop it an hour and a half because he feels like he, he's where we're done. Yeah, well, then, mate, we're only going for an hour and a half. Sure, no worries. Exactly um, right. A bit different when someone's a 14 marker or, as an example, a 14 marker and they're paying good, their hard-earned money to, to come and see you and it's, you know, they want to spend their 140 for the hour. They want an hour. Yeah, and it's hard too because, as you said, they, they, you are paying premium prices for that coaching session and you do want to give them the value. You're almost better off though, and this is what I, I tend to do now, is if I think they're happy with their full swing and they got to where they need to be, let's go and do some putting for 10 minutes and just have a quick peek at something different rather than giving yeah. them something new on top of the stuff that we already covered. So um, that's really cool. Now, Seeing your social media posts, the common theme that seems to be popping up now is juniors and putting. So obviously that's where you're kind of specialising. You said before that you're trying to go down that putting pathway as a specialist um, coach. So talk me through the, the theory behind that and what piqued your interest in there and how are you going about becoming a specialist putting coach? Yeah, well, um, obviously that's how I really started, playing mini golf. Um as cliche as that is, it's um it's how I started on my golfing journey, if you like. Um, and then as you get older, you you learn and you take things on. And it's uh, not that I don't like doing full swing or pitching or short game. It's just an area that I um really enjoy. So um that's where it's led me. Um, I had a conversation with Rick Sessinghouse when he came out earlier in the year. I pulled him outside for. A couple of minutes and i said hey what would you what would you do if you had rick 2.0 and he goes i'd be a specialist in something and then that didn't confirm anything but it's like oh, okay that's what do i really like doing and i really like developing kids really like developing younger players really like um, where richard sort of was in that state team environment and and community if you like so that that's where that interest peaked and then also the putting stuff um you know, I don't think there's too many guys in the country who like specialize in putting. A couple of guys do aim point, um, whatnot, but no one really specializes in putting in the country. And I, Richard's always been a really good putting coach. So it's like, well, okay, that makes sense. I can lean on that. I'm learning more with Trackman putting the more I spend on there. I'm on there probably daily. Annoying Isaac 
because he's he's working for them. What's this mean? And what's that? And what's this? And what's that? And then spending time with um, I've done Aimpoint in the past, but then again doing it again today with with Jamie Donaldson. And next year I'll I'll get certified in that and doing some stuff with Mel Blundell on the the psychology of putting. It's a just a space. I don't know if you. Correct me on this one. If anyone does a really good job in the country, Grant Field obviously does a pretty good job with Cam Smith, but I don't think he's known as a specialist putting coach as such. Yeah, um, I can't come around. Obviously, there's guys overseas, John Graham, those kind of guys that yeah. are specialist putting coaches, but I don't can't think of anyone off the top of my head in Australia that's doing it. Yeah, so I think it's a it's a space I really enjoy first and foremost, and then I think it's it's a, an area that we as coaches don't. Not that we don't spend enough time on, but it's if we've got 15 minutes at the end of a lesson, they tend to students tend to want to do a little bit of putting. Where putting can be putting should be a half day thing, you know. Green reading, where you start the ball, your speed, your control, drills, practice habits, routines, the psychology. There's seven or eight areas I've listed off that are we just don't. I don't think we do well enough, in my opinion. Well, I'm I'm extremely guilty of being a, a very poor putting coach. I'll I'll put my hand up right now and say it isn't a strong strong suit in my own coaching. So now I've got someone to send my clients to for for for, <laughs> for putting coaching. So they'll be on your doorstep if I get good. someone querying putting lessons. Good, good, good. And so are you you Sam is obviously the the tool that you're using at the PGA. Is that something you're happy with, or have you played with Capto much, or have you used any other? Tools? No, I haven't played played with Sam through. Um through Richard, um, but uh, TrackMan putting, I believe, is the, the best tool to be using. What it picks up with the ball, what it picks up uh, with face, with path, it picks up basically everything and more that, um, that Putt Lab does. The only thing it doesn't get, which is slightly annoying, is aiming. That's where Putt Lab has a sort of a little advantage in my opinion. Um, but what it does ball roll-wise, what it does with skid, what it does with bouncing, how you can learn from it, I think is far more advantageous. And you don't have to add any um, tripods to it. You simply set it up, hit it, off you go. And, yeah, it's just um, we've got we've got Putt Lab and TrackMan at the PGA, but it's just uh, we just use we just use TrackMan. Um, things like Sniper Vision we use. It's Noel Blundell's, the putting arc. Phil Kenyon has great putting aids with Vizio. So there's not much we don't use. Uh, but, yeah, we just have we just have TrackMan there rearing to go and it doesn't take long to set up and you don't have to add anything to the putter. So one thing I found when I was playing is using putt labs great, but you add that tripod on there, it makes the putter much heavier. Yeah. As soon as you take the putter off, I take the tripod off the putter, it's like, oh, okay, got to adjust to it again. So it's a, yeah, TrackMan I use. Putt labs great, TrackMan's great. Haven't played with Capto at all. So I don't want to comment on Capto, um, but yeah, just TrackMan and um, and PuttLab. It is. It's a, it's a good point you make with regards to the technology. It's always interesting. I've always been curious, like even with the three D stuff with Ryan, how much of an impact does having the the actual sensors on your body have to your swing when you're actually playing, and how much it's on the clubs. Obviously, you you've got those attached as well with Sam, and um, yeah, even with the three D stuff as well. So it can be. It's got to have some sort of influence on how the person moves the club. Yeah, there's a there's a guy uh, you you probably would have heard of him, Mark Bull, over in America. Yeah, no, Mark. Um, Mark. He's yeah, he's got a uh, get him on the podcast. He's a he's yeah, he's amazing. Um, he's got uh, a three D app um, 
that is wireless and is as accurate with the gear on as it is off. So, yeah, if, if anyone's out there who is coaching and wants a, a wireless 3D app, um, Mark Bull's app is fantastic. Used it before myself, on myself, on players. It's, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, because there's there's always been that bit of a bit of a catch twenty two sometimes because I've worked with uh, have you come across Chris Welsh before Zeno Link? Um, I haven't come across Chris, no. Yeah, so Chris is an awesome person and really good at what he does. But in his system, you would shoot the swing from two different angles and you'd shoot a three D cube, and you send right. both those clips off to him, and then they process it and then you'd get the 3D report back. So that was a, a, what you said. You could actually hit the shots as you, as you would normally without the sensors on you, but then you've got to wait two or three days to get the report back. Yeah, so right. It sounds like Mark's system, if it's if it's accurate, like you say, sounds like it would be a, a good little little way to be able to be able to hit shots and still get that data um, straight away. Yeah, yeah and that's where, like, that's where I find it's like I love 3D, I love the space, but when you, when you do – from my playing point of view, when you add those things on, take them off, try and do things with certain areas of your swing or the body, it's really, it is quite heavy um, and it is uncomfortable. Yeah. No one gets on there and goes, yeah, this is comfortable. Let's keep doing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's not the, the 3D bio guy's fault or anything like that. It's just the way it is. But Mark's developed this, this, really, cool, um, this really cool app that if you had them on or if you had them off, it's reading the same data. Awesome. So, and it's very affordable. I can't recall the cost, but it's it's under a thousand dollars Australian, which is, you know, you buy a three D body motion sensor, you're up for more than a thousand dollars. I can assure you, without without question. So, okay, Mark, if you're tuning in, you're on you are on the hit list already. But I'll definitely be <laughs> be coming to coming to talk to you at some point in time, um, mate. There's some standard questions I like to ask everyone that comes on the show. So I'm going to throw those at you if you can spare me a bit more time. I've kept you for almost an hour already. So, again, I think it's going to be a um, a um, consistent guest. I think you'll be coming back more and more often. So, yeah, happy to, happy um, to. It'll be all good because I haven't covered half the points I had written down. So I think you're definitely coming back on again. So what would you say to young coaches out there starting out? What tips would you have for them? Something I would lean on you know, your mentors that the, the PGA provide you. Um, that's massive. Um, again, I was very lucky, but lean on people you trust. Lean on your mentors and seek out what your boss thinks. Um, just because potentially your boss might not be coaching. He might have had lessons from someone or he might know someone. So if you're looking to get in that coaching or you're looking to improve your playing or whatever field you're in, Seek out what your boss, what other trainees are doing. It's really important. Um, so that's that's some advice I would I would give or ask the PGA too. We might be able to help you. We might be able to point you in the right direction. Just because we're in Melbourne doesn't mean we can't point to someone in Queensland or in New South Wales or Tasmania, wherever it could be. Um, point you in the right direction to go, hey, go spend some time with Person X down in Queensland. Richard Woodhouse, Grant Fields couple just off the top of my head right so just ask questions ask things to different people you don't know who knows anyone like we could be talk. who was i talking to the other day i was talking to the commercial guy at the pga and he goes oh, i didn't realize you knew person x yeah i know I've known person x since i've been in nappies so yeah you just don't know who people know and you don't know who you're going to come across 
we are spoiled for choice in in Australia. We've got high quality coaches in every every capital city, pretty much. There's not as if there's just because we're in Perth. There's a there's some crappy coaches over there. There's good coaches everywhere, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. We're very very blessed in this country to have some of the best. So yeah, let's lean on them. And they certainly all seem to be very approachable as well, which is a really cool cool thing as well. They're always happy to chat, which I'm yes, finding in the absolutely. podcast as well if I hit them up. I don't think I've had any Aussie coaches say no to me yet, so that's a good, that's a good thing. Do you know what we like doing as coaches? We like talking. Yes, <laughs> very true, very true. Yep, so happy to talk. Okay, advice for golfers out there. What would you say to the, to the golfers out there? I think the biggest mis- misconception is that we want to tear your games upside down. As golf coaches, we actually want to help people. We want to help people get better because it's a good reflection on us, right? We help you play better golf. You shoot better scores. You're happier. That's what we want to do, right? So um, I think there's a big misconception out there that uh, don't go and have lessons from the local pro or your, your club pro or, or whoever it may be. Have your lessons. They're trying to help you, right? <laughs> They're not trying to make you worse. So... If you get the opportunity to have a lesson or create a relationship or it might be, can you can you just take me on the course and, and tell me how you'd play this hole? It could be something as simple as that that takes 10, 15 minutes. We are happy to help, so seek out our help. Okay, so that's some advice I'd give golfers. I mean, I've had lessons since I can remember, right? So it's a very biased in that regard, but have lessons. People are here to help you. Makes Best sense players to in me. the world I have like coaching it. daily. No, that's a good thing. I like it. I think that's perfect advice. And that, that that probably is the biggest key point is if tour players are still getting coaching, there's got to be something in it, doesn't there? So that's, yep, that's really cool. Um, okay, so you can answer this one. There's two parts to the question. You can answer both parts or just one part. I don't, don't mind. Um, where do you see yourself or where do you see coaching in five years' time? That's the first one. Um, I'd like to – I'd like to see myself in five years being one of the better putting coaches in the country. I'd like to see myself as one of the better coaches, right? But we don't actually go around going, hey, I want to be number one. I'd just like to be someone who can help people and be really good at it. That's what I'd like to do. And then where do I see coaching? I don't love the online model. Um, Send a swing, get some information, go away, simply because that's, like we've been speaking about, a small portion of the game that's a that's a small portion so i don't know how many people have done on online lessons but have you just sent drivers and seven irons i would presume so so i'm not going to get into that space i wouldn't have thought um i think information providing is going to be get bigger Uh, that's something i do like online the people giving out information that's pretty cool Uh, you could learn golf from doing that one issue you have with that though is that yeah you do if you're doing something in your putting or your chipping or your pitching and you, you watch something and it's not irrelevant for you that's a okay that could be a problem but as a society we want information really fast so i can i can see the pros and cons of, of where coaching can get to and could get to and we're very accessible with information at the moment so i hope uh, i hope the face-to-face still continues but Maybe, maybe we get to a stage in two, three years' time where we are booking out students for half a day or full days. Uh, I've done a few of them at Sandhurst and you get to go through everything. You get to watch them play. You get to watch them practice. You get to watch them with a seven iron. You get to watch them with a putter, with a lob wedge, hitting high little fades, 
hitting low draws, playing into the wind. You get to see all those things, and it's really beneficial for golfers. That's cool. It's an exciting time, I think, for, for coaching. I think it's it's improving and evolving very quickly at the moment. And I think, um, yeah, I, I certainly get your point with regards to online coaching. It can be a challenging space. I think it has its role, but I don't think it can be the only thing you do. I think there's got to be some sort of face-to-face as well. So, uh, Yeah, absolutely. I like it. Um, anything that you would change in your journey so far? Anything that you would, if you had the chance to go back and change, is there anything that you would do that to? I would have lent more on the mentors I had more. You don't realize how lucky you are until sometimes you reflect on that. Um, would have asked more questions, would have spent more of my free time with them rather than at the pub with friends. So, um, <laughs> the pub's fun too, though. <laughs> the pub's fun too, right? But you don't learn too much at the pub except the hangover for the next day. So, um, you know, those sort of things I wish I did. And now you're, you're always trying to fast track now because I felt like I, I missed a little bit there. So that's something I might change is um, going forward anyway with my learning and development is ask questions, spend time when you can, like I've done today at, at Royal Melbourne with the guys. I was sort of um and ahhing and then I was like, no, no, let's just let's go and do it and take the time and effort that it, that's required and, and go and do it and go and learn and pick up on things. So, um, yeah, that's that's something I'd do that would be different. I'd... I'd lean on people who I trust and, and, and seek questions and hopefully they've got answers or they might seek answers somewhere else. I like it. Um, I think, again, just to reinforce that point, we don't realise how much time we have or haven't got with someone. We lost. We obviously lost Ramsey and um, yeah. extremely young. So that's someone there that we thought we had years and years with that we didn't get that time with and he was world-class, obviously. So uh, to be able yeah. to pick his brain a few more times i would certainly go back and do that i wonder how much money people would pay to be able to pick his brain right now i really do he was working with almost every second european tour player at some stages so far ahead of his time with regards to his training ideas and how he was going about it was just just awesome yeah Yeah, astronomical so it's um even like luke Mackey, right we used to play heaps of junior golf together nearly every second saturday or probably every second saturday at rosanna now that he's overseas with golf australia in florida i've you know you just don't you don't get to to lean on them as much as you should have and could have so that's definitely yeah yeah don't um don't be afraid to ask questions i don't know of many golf pros that say no i'm not going to help you i really don't no i don't think i've, I've come across anyone really that said no go away yeah. if they're having to <laughs> approach them they'll, they'll tend to help you out which is really cool yeah, absolutely. Um, so you said something earlier on about if you've stopped improving, you should give it up, which I, I certainly agree with. So where do you go for your sources of information? You Places your head for, to, to learn new things? Yeah, always lean on my dad. Um, we constantly, maybe once every two to three days, touch base. You got anything new? No, yes. What are they? Share some ideas. We have a little WhatsApp group, a few of us, um, where we're sharing ideas, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? No, it's garbage. Okay, well, I won't pursue that or or that's really good. Um, so I lean on Marty, Isaac, Brooke, um, Luke a little bit, not as much anymore as I, or not as much as I probably should. Darren, Nick at the PGA, Jordan the physio at the PGA. Um, so they're the guys I'm leaning on. And then you just you ask enough questions of enough people, hey, what do you think of person X? And they're really good. 
you're going to seek their help and their opinions on things. So um, spent the day with, with Jamie Donaldson, knew he was really good. Richard said, yeah, go there to be really good and really beneficial. And um, Richard Hatt, really good, really beneficial. Go and see them and did name point class today. And just always trying to pick other people's brains who are really good at what they do. Makes sense. I like it a lot. Um, where can people find you? Let's do some plugs. Social media handles, links, emails. Probably the best is email. I, I'm on on social media a little bit, not a, not a hell of a lot, but my am Cooney at pga.org.au. I'm at um, the PGA Academy at Sandhurst. Um, so very very fortunate to be there. Um, otherwise, Michael Cooney Golf on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, but not not hugely on social media. My wife runs my social media. You'd think I'm would be on more. She works in social media, right? You'd think I'd be on there a hell of a lot more than I am. Um, but I should be on there more, but I'm not. Um, two little kids get in the way a lot, especially when they're running around like like headless chickens. So, um, family comes first, mate. Family comes first. I do. No, they do. Cool. They do. They do. I will put some links in the show notes for everyone so they can find you if they want to continue the conversation. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming in and chatting to me tonight. Um, awesome conversation. Definitely feel, as I've said this numerous times so far in the podcast, part two and part three and part four coming up. So you might be a bit of a regular guest, I think, with some yeah. coaching topics I've got in mind to discuss with coaches. So Absolutely love to. You're doing a really good job, so keep doing it. Um, I'll be on here whenever you want me. Love it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, mate, and we'll catch up really soon. Thanks, guys.